Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi and welcome to episode 18 of Hometown Glory, your Spurs and Culture podcast. I'm Charlie and today joined by Rosa and Tom. Today we're going to recap the Everton drubbing, look over a vital point for Spurs women and a big few games ahead. Um, we'll also preview the United game of the weekend and of course give out some culture recommendations. Um, Tom, Rosa, good to talk to you both. Um, Spurs are fun again. Uh, 5-0 versus Everton. Rosa, tell me what you loved about that match. Um, well, can I just quickly tell you what I didn't love, which is... Oh, that, um, straight in yeah. with the bad. Yeah, of course. No, it's, not even, it's, just, it's just for me. Well, it's, do you know what? It's, I'm just going to say you're welcome to everyone because I did not go to that game, as you both know. I had a ticket and it was so, so, so cold. And I was like, I've got a bad feeling about this game. I don't really want to spend an hour and a half getting there and an hour and a half getting back and being like miserable and cold and lonely. So I gave my ticket to Ollie and he had a great time and I felt like an absolute fool at home <laughs> as the goals just rained in. But aside from that, so I like to think that that was my contribution to it because it was fairly inevitable that once I decided not to go. On behalf like, of all Spurs fans, we thank you, Rosa. Yeah, That's good. and quite right too. Um but it was just a glorious evening, wasn't it? I really, I have to say, I just wasn't expecting it at all. And looking at Everton's defending and how they set up, I probably shouldn't have been as surprised as I was. But it was just a delight. I think after I caught most of their game versus City the week before, where they looked quite, quite decent. They defended really well. They looked a little bit like we did against City, sort of sprightly on the break. And, you know, they do have some decent players and, they're one of those strange teams that when I looked at their lineup before the game and I was like, Calvert-Lewin, you know, Van der Beek, uh, Decore I like, 
um, Richarlison, obviously. I think the the youngster Gordon is a really good player, and I thought he showed himself really well throughout. Sort of, you know, even when they were really being hammered, I thought he was the only one that really kept going. And you sort of think, oh, similarly to what Rosa was saying, oh God, maybe this is one of those sort of Wolves Southampton type evenings. But and even the start, you know, I think I was sort of messaging a bit. They hacked off in the first 10, 15 minutes when we couldn't sort of get the ball off them for a while. And then as soon as we scored, they just seemed to completely give up the ghost. Um, Tom, I take it you were you were thrilled as well. Yeah, I had a great night. Um, I was on a pretty bad run of games. I seem to have missed a lot of the big the best games this season. I couldn't make Man City first game of the season. Uh live I ducked out of Liverpool and West Ham before Christmas because everyone was worried about getting Omicron. So that was tough. And then, yeah, what I was at Wolves, Southampton, Chelsea in the cup. So I really couldn't take another terrible night at White Hart Lane. So thank God it was, yeah, it was a hell of a lot of fun. Everton, like you said, on paper, Everton's midfield and forwards, at least going forward, they look pretty good Like on paper. Um, Decore's good. Uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin could be brilliant on his day. And that Anthony Gordon, like you said, he was potentially had the best uh, game of any of their players. But yeah, we totally dominated them and it was an extremely fun day out. I mean, we've now, last two games, we're now 9-0 up, aren't we, on uh, on aggregate. It was funny because Leeds were so open, but at least Leeds had some chances and mm. they probably could have scored a couple. I don't remember... Ugo having to uh, do much, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, Everton were abysmal, but we were really good. My favourite thing, I think, was probably was the Kane finish on, mm. for the fifth goal. It was that, that sort of side-footed finish that if you were watching other less skillful footballers or if it kind of hadn't gone in, you'd have presumed he'd, he'd miskicked it, really. But the way he sort of cushioned it on the side of his foot uh, and the finish, that was that was just wonderful. And it was great because I sit in the south stand. Obviously, uh, we got three goals in the first half quite far away from us. I had no idea the first goal was an own goal until uh, I saw a tweet later because even in the stadium, they announced it mm. as Harry's goal, I think, didn't they? They did. Um, and coming back from half time, I had a bizarre experience. As I walked up the gangway, um, I looked down at the pitch and we were, everyone was about to kick off. And then the stadium announcer said, goal in the 46th minute from Sergio <laughs> Regulon. Uh, and I was like, this does, well, this doesn't happen to Spurs and I never miss goals. So um, it was great to then get that fifth goal from Kane right in front of the South Stand. The South Stand went bonkers. Um, and yeah, it was, a, it was a great finish. And particularly him and Kulu had a really good games, didn't they? They did. Yeah, I think a moment, a moment for Kulu. It's a shame that Ash isn't here as he has admitted himself to us. He needs to embark upon his Kulu uh, little kind of uh, I'm so sorry tour as I think, although I think that's unfair on Ash. I think we all thought Kulu potentially looked quite bad for the first looked, few games. He looked so nervous, didn't he, mm. um, when he came on uh, off the bench those those first couple of times. Um, and yeah, we all owe him a massive apology because he's he's already improved that front line so much. 
It's interesting just, the difference it makes, isn't it? Because it was so noticeable. Um, obviously, he stayed on um, when some went off and Berg came on. But that the attack is just like so unbelievably more potent with him in it because there are now like three players the defences have to worry about. Whereas like, I'm sorry, Berg, when he comes on, that, you know, those two goals against Leicester aside, you're just thinking that's probably not going to happen again. We don't really have to worry about him too much. I think he had he had a great chance that he just like ballooned over the bar, right? Mm-hmm. And Kulu, not only, you know, he makes chances, he takes chances. You have to worry about him as well, which frees up more space for the other two. And it is amazing how quickly he's just got to grips with it all. I guess that's the difference when you arrive from Juve, right? As opposed to uh, Dutch League, for example. I think so. I mean, 21 as well. Just, you know, I think Billy pointed out to us, he's, a, he's only a month older than Phil Foden, for example, which I think just, I suppose, I suppose like you say, Rosa, it speaks to his sort of education coming through Juve and he had a good spell at Palmer and Atalanta, who are a bit of a sort of talent factory. So he's he's had sort of good finishing schools before arriving here. I think one of the really, really, really exciting things about Kunu is the chemistry he seems to be building up with, with Matt Doherty as well. Because finally, 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 after what feels like about seven and a half years, we seem to be getting a glimpse of Wolves' Matt Doherty. I mean, I think you could make a case for him being man of the match. I would, I think put forward that he was he didn't put a foot wrong he's passed for the was it for the second Kane goal the, the fifth goal his yeah. pass over the top was sublime like it was kind of you know brilliant it's certainly not the sort of pass a right back should really be playing uh, or you you know that you'd expect a right back to be playing certainly yeah. not our right backs <laughs> not our right backs um yeah he was he was so he's so calm and skillful isn't he kulu and also i think maybe he doesn't make the runs he doesn't make those kind of breaking runs that uh, lucas makes but on the ball he does seem quite uh, fast and doesn't seem to lose the ball very uh, he's got really good close control i i always enjoy um, discovering what's going to be the uh, what is it the cinch like no nonsense moment of the match or whatever Spurs put out on through their many many partners and uh, it was that little sort of shuffle he did to sort of skip by Richarlison to set up one of the sort of many many chances and that kind of reminded me just how good he was in that game at keeping ball in keeping the ball in tight spaces holding people off his first touch seems to be just just that lovely thing where with every touch of the football, he seems to be just growing in confidence and sort of realising that he can do it in the Premier League and he's got nothing to worry about. Really, really lovely to see. Is it is it crazy that he slightly reminds me of like early Kane in the way that he's not that fast, right? But his, mm. he's pretty strong and his control is good and he can do that thing of holding onto the ball and kind of creating a chance out of nothing just by kind of shaking a defender off, not through yeah. speed. Mm. but strength and control and kind of persistence. And a bit of intelligence as well. He seems like a really smart footballer. Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say, he seems very calm and considered. Uh, Like you can see him looking for a pass and he definitely seems smart. And, um, you know, we're all fans of Lucas at times here, but that (laughs) is the total opposite of the chaos Mm. you get from from Lucas, you know. He, uh, yeah... Uh, Kulu seems very calm. Talking about sort of early Kane as well, when he brought on Berg and took off Son, 
I mean, there seems to be something in Kane's contract that he can never be subbed off, really. Like, I, I was thinking, surely we're, we're now going to rest, rest Kane for the weekend. And I guess I'll, he was on a hat-trick, though, at that yeah, point. So that's the only of, reason I can think. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was playing brilliantly, so I can understand why he'd keep Kane on as well. But what I thought might have happened there was that Kulu moved into the, into mm. the centre and I was quite excited to see what he could do playing at, you know, in the middle there. Hopefully we'll see it at some point, although we've now got no cup games, obviously. So it's just... No, just 12 cup finals, as uh, I think we're now talking about them, aren't we? Um, I think we should spend a minute talking about the other new boy from Juve as well. Um, obviously, Rodrigo Bentoncourt came back into the the team and I for one never want to see him out of it for as long as he's at Tottenham Hotspur because I think the difference in our play with that guy there versus not to single out Harry Winks but when Harry Winks is playing for Spurs um, is just astonishing. I think the level of composure and calm and bravery he has on the ball to accept a pass wherever he is on the pitch I think that kind of thing is infectious and I think you can tell by the play of I think Hoybier sort of stepped it up playing around him. I think sort of rubbed off on him. I think Doherty as well, sort of that weight of pass that he's receiving from Benton Kerr versus the sort of passes he might be getting from sort of Winks or Hoybier when he and Winks are playing together. I think he's just, it's just sort of schools apart. Um, we, we all love Rodrigo, don't we? Yeah, so much. And I think, you know, it's a little bit rough on Winks in some ways because I think the confidence thing is so clear mm. and Winks is you know with good reason but he also suffers quite a lot from the crowd sort of being on his back quite early so if he misplaces yeah. a pass there's groans all around the stadium whereas you just don't get that with Benton Core because we're all so excited to see him and it's become clear to everybody that we just we need him so desperately and so there's that sort of energy in the crowd for him as well now obviously he is a superior player but that helps a lot I think I'm just I'm so interested to watch him play. I was watching um, just the short highlights earlier and the amount of sort of the pitch that he covers and he's just mm. he's not afraid to go anywhere. He just he comes all the way back to defence to carry the ball all the way forward. And there isn't. And that's so encouraging for a defence as well. And I really, you know, I'm not going to. You know, no one's ever going to compare to Moussa Dembele for me, but it is amazing to see a midfielder clearly gives the defence confidence as well. It's been such a long time since we've had that. Yeah, he sort of, it's like a mix of Dembele. He sort of carries himself with a bit of Berbatov, I think, a kind of defensive mid-Berber and how he sort of struts around that kind of lovely sort of laconic way. I think the Carrick-Berber sort of mm. combo that you spoke about earlier, like um, in our group, is quite accurate, actually. In that, in that Berber way, he definitely looks like he like he would uh, just light up a fag at half time and chill. Uh, uh, you deserve I, it, Rodrigo. Have one on me. <laughs> he seems so calm, uh, so controlled. Like he is the Musa replacement we've needed for quite some time, I, I think. And when we bought him, I remember reading that um, someone saying he was like brilliant off the ball. And I'm not really mm. like a tactics nerd. So I think uh, I was like, what does that even mean off the ball? Like it's you're playing football. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it kind of confused me. But watching him, I can see totally what that means because he's clearly he reads the game brilliantly. He's clearly looking 
where the trouble's going to arise, where he can place a brilliant pass. Um, and I thought towards the end of the game, I was slightly worried that Everton might nick a goal and we'd just mm. um, not keep a clean sheet. But he was he did some brilliant breaking up of the play. I think there was a tactical foul he made near the end as well that um, that was needed. Um, yeah, he's he's just brilliant. And like you said, he's obviously our first. First choice centre mid now. He's improved Pierre, and I'm excited to see what him and Skip will look like as well. If Skip ever comes back, yeah, I uh, I want to keep the good times going. So I feel like we shouldn't dwell on um, Rose's uh, sort of conspiracy theory that Oliver Skip won't be seen again this season. That she dared to air in our text group earlier today. It's just um, Spurs fear. It's based on nothing more than that. So you know, take, make of that what you will. I guess everyone. Um, yeah, just one other thing about Bentancur is that is this like another reason I'm like I feel so 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 stupid for not going because I think he is the kind of player it's great to watch when you're there mm. because the camera because if he is um, working off the ball that's not something the camera is necessarily going to follow yeah but it's so fun to watch if you're there yeah I totally agree like I said I you know, I was sort of baffled by that off the ball comment but in the in the ground you see how he covers the pitch brilliantly and he's yeah he's clearly looking all around him and, mm. and reading reading the game really well and just um yeah linking linking with other players so well because it's he's not like he's not much like Kulisevsky I guess he's not especially quick but he just seems to sort of glide across the pitch in that really lovely way that very very good central midfielders seem to manage to like you say just eat up the ground um and Tom, I, I noted you mentioned his sort of tactical fouling, which I'm sort of thrilled that we've got a kind of Uruguayan such midfielder that's been sort of raised at Boca and then Juve. And you would very much hope that someone with that kind of education would be able to come in and know when to know when to sort of halt a fast break in its tracks with a little tug of the shirt or a cliff of the ankles. And he definitely, definitely, definitely has that in his locker. So I'm, I'm thrilled to see that. Same and Romero got away with it well. loads as well. Yeah, he yeah. got away with yeah. Less so for Romero. Romero did not. <laughs> Listen, not he got the ball. <laughs> Romero, Romero committed GBH. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, I know he wasn't, he was a bit hacked off about coming off from what I saw, but um, a fair play to Conte for taking him off on what was it like? It wasn't even an hour, I don't think. But it I was, think he, knowing what Richarlison's like, I think he was just going to try and wind him up into getting a second yellow for the entire game, I think. And we're, we're going to need him for, for United yeah. so badly. So, yeah, that, that same smart. And Sanchez didn't need to do a lot when he came. No, no. Um, do you, just, a, I guess, away from Tottenham, but staying with Everton, are they going to go down? What do you guys reckon? I really hope not. I don't think it's going to be them, to be honest. I think it'll probably be Leeds, is you my reckon? feeling. Yeah, but just because I almost I can't see it with Everton, and I'd actually be quite sad about it, even though you know, it'd be funny because it's Frank, but ultimately it'd be sad for Everton. And I they think are, most you know, fans... it's, they're the Northern Us, and it just, well, like, what would we do without that one fixture where, like, it's just the same people, like the <laughs> Spider Man meme? <laughs> I... We would miss, we would miss Spurs North for sure. I enjoyed a bit of abuse <laughs> for Frank uh, <laughs> singing uh, Lampard what's the score was uh, was very fun I was just sad I don't think Jamie Redknapp was in the um, Sky Sports studio was he because uh, no it was Teddy who was telling Harry Kane he needs to leave to, to see his um, 
see his cousin looking so sad. <laughs> Teddy was so weird. He was like, oh, I'm impressed with Kane, but I'm not that impressed with Spurs. I'm like, that's a team that just won 5-0, you massive weirdo. But anyway, Jamie Carragher was like rhapsodising about Kane and that was quite lovely to see. Um, I feel like we've spent enough time worrying about Harry and his future in the last couple of episodes. So we'll, we'll stay off that and just enjoy the fact that he's, uh, he's hopefully, and I t- actually one thing on Kane I was going to say, I obviously he was in imperious form against Everton. I really enjoyed what Conte was saying after the game though, when, you know, was basically set up to just, sort of praised Kane by the interviewer and he sort of instead said obviously he's scored a couple and he's played amazingly well but he also scored a couple against City and then didn't follow that up by scoring against Burnley he then played really well against Leeds and scored and didn't follow that up with any goals against Borough what he now needs to do is to follow up these amazing performances with another one straight afterwards if we're actually going to do anything And he's obviously completely right because Kane basically has to do this now for 12 consecutive matches if I think we've got any chance of top four, right? So he went uh, went above Henri, didn't he? He did, yeah. All-time stats. But I I just had to double-check and he's got 10 for the season now. He's in double figures in the league um, for the season. I mean, if he can get anywhere near 20, that would be pretty incredible considering the start that he had to this season um both like not even uh playing at first because he wa- because he was kind of agitating for the move and then mm. just yeah it took obviously took him almost half the season to get going yeah if he could push towards 18 20 for the season that would be incredible i, I think, think we're going to need him to need that, 20 yeah. yeah yeah just the last thing on kane actually and sort of on Doherty as well is that I do while that that pass for Kane's second goal was obviously good it is also one of those things where that that's not a goal unless it lands on the boot of Harry Kane really is it (laughs) (laughs) this is me saying XG's a nonsense one more time (laughs) I will not I'm I'm sorry I'm not going to have any anti-Matt Doherty tour I think that that man is now going to become you know the kind of Hakimi of of sort of Spurs uh thinking about last season's inter-team with Conte. I think that if he can, like, if he can play like he did against, like he did against Everton, Matt Doherty, I think we might be in business because that, you know, not having any sort of goals or assists or any impactful attacking play from wing-back has really been the thing that's properly, properly held us back. And if we can just muster something from Doherty and sort of Regulon slash Cess down the other wing... We might, I mean, I feel like every every other podcast, we're either like, Spurs are legit, we're going to finish top four, or it's, oh my God, we're terrible, we're in crisis, Conte's going to leave, it's dreadful. So it's, I guess we need to be somewhere near in the middle and we won't know until after United and Brighton. Let's enjoy perhaps. being at the top of the roller coaster today. Exactly. I think that's exactly. it. Um, who, Do we I, want to talk I, about Cess at all? I feel like I mean, he did pretty to, well. I feel like he can't defend. That's my concern. He, he gets knocked off the ball very yeah. easily, doesn't he? He loses the ball so easily. I thought his cross for the first goal was excellent. Um, yeah, brilliant. He made a brilliant run and a great cross. But yeah, he... yeah he gets Timed perfectly. Like, it nearly yeah. went out. And then... Sorry, it's, carry on. No, Just it did. To, I feel like we should kind of give him some credit before we ultimately tear him down. <laughs> <laughs> He, no, he that cross was brilliant. Yeah, like I, I'd forgot that it very nearly went out, didn't it? Yeah, and then he ran it, and it was at a 
pretty tight angle to get it into the box, really. Um, but yeah, generally from that point on, he did get sort of muscled off the ball too often. Anthony, Anthony Gordon gave him a proper going over, I thought, in terms of the you know the kind of general physicality that you face each week as a Premier League sort of full slash wing back. I mean, I think the biggest problem is that he came off with another injury that seems to be apparently, I don't know if they've actually come out and said what the prognosis is for it, but it's another sort of muscular thing. He just can't stay fit for sort of longer than what, like three, four games. And I guess that's the biggest drawback with, with Seth is that he just cannot keep his body sort of together for a decent period of time. Um, but Regulon, I guess, maybe should be first choice anyway, perhaps, kind of. Who knows? I don't know. He scored. I mean, it's not like it's fine, isn't it? It's not It's not a problem, particularly, yeah. I think. Yeah. I'm not mad if Regalon and Sessignon kind of rotate, you know. Yeah. Um, the yeah. way Ro- Rose and Davis used to, although there was usually a European game in the kind of middle of the week. Mm. But um, I'm fine if for now they kind of share that spot. Um, so looking ahead to United, I assume Regalon coming in for Sess from the start will probably be the only change. But, you know, we do face a very tight run of games again. We know that the problem with Conte's Tottenham is when we have to play twice in a week. You know, if he has a week to prepare the team, they tend to win. If we have a midweek game, things tend to crash and burn. With that in mind, would you guys stick with the 11 that thrashed Everton and maybe sort of tweak it for Brighton on Wednesday if we're thinking United's the bigger game and they've had basically the whole week to rest up for that? Tom, what do you reckon? We've got no depth, have we? Really, there's, there's. We looking at the bench um, on uh, Monday. It we had no options really besides Lucas. So I think we have to stick with that eleven for United. If players are then exhausted, then we have to we'll have to rest them for Brighton, which is obviously the less important game. Rosa. Yeah, there's there's no way around it, really, is there? I don't think. I mean, we've but what what have we got? Like a first eleven, and then like you know, one and a half other players, really. So it's. I was kind of, I was feeling so good, thinking this like you know this is amazing. We can just have a game a week now, and then literally like our next set of fixtures is three games in eight days. So that's slightly stressful, but. You know, yeah, one game at a time. I think this is it for that that eleven straight in against United, and then just see. You know, like they should be able to at least. Why am I even saying that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's just see what happens after that. Basically, really, I mean, it's just there's there's going to be more twists and turns, aren't there? I also um, keep forgetting that the third game. In that eight-day window is, you know, my feelings about this team. The third game is West Ham, isn't it, on the uh, week Sunday? And, yeah, that's a big worry. Although, admittedly, they haven't looked that good. The the good thing about playing West Ham... Bones injured. injured. And the good thing about playing West Ham when we are is that they have the first leg of their Europa knockout game um, this week against Sevilla. And then the second leg is, what, two, three days before they play us. So they'll hopefully be pretty, unless they do some sort of madness in Spain. They don't have much depth, do they? Moyes, they've, you know, there's been various sort of rows going on about how they should have uh, strengthened in January and didn't. 
um, Antonio looks tired and, and Bowen's injured. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully they'll be pretty tuckered out from that. Um, but let's let's talk about United for a minute. Is this a good time to face them, particularly away from home? They'll be, I imagine, sort of driven on by a home crowd who sort of want you know, to see a reaction from the City defeat. Um, so they'll come for us, I imagine. Could we then do a sort of Man City away and pick them off smartly and efficiently on the break? Rosa, what do you think? Um, I don't have a great feeling about it just because we so rarely get anything at Old Trafford, but it's now or never really. And, you know, the last Not time remember last season? Is- do you not remember last season? <laughs> Six you one. know what? Oh my god! It, that just feels like it didn't. That feels like it feels literally like happened years five ago. years ago. Yeah. Um, and I guess without a crowd, it, oh, you know, you're right. It still counts. It still counts. But um, God, that was such an amazing day. I can't believe I, t- I just that literally had fallen out of my brain. Um, <laughs> see, what do I know? I had bad feeling about Monday. I'd forgot about what happened last season at Old Trafford. So anything I say at this point is irrelevant <laughs> frankly ignore me <laughs> it's absolutely not because we we can definitely we are we have been guilty of freezing when we go to old trafford i think it's weird isn't it because we've had some really amazing results there be it the 6-1 there was the lucas sort of coming out party game where he got a couple of goals in that 3-0 mm-hmm. that sort of helps see off jose when he was united manager there was the Tim Sherwood win there there was the AVB one but there's also been a lot of very insipid sort of turn up, lose 3-0, you know, don't put up much of a fight. And um, um, it could go either way. I'm says, just, I'm always instinctively worried about playing United. Um, but I did watch them against City the other day and I briefly thought they were about to um, kind of come good. They're as inconsistent as us really, aren't they? Um and that, With way less reason. They've spent so yeah, much money and they've, they've got so much talent. Well, talking of spending so much money, the Sancho's goal was brilliant the other day. It was mm. like a real cracker of a goal. And I, uh, when they equalised, I thought, oh, here we go. Maybe United will uh, start to look good now. And then they were terrible for the rest of the, the game. Maguire had a nightmare. I think that stat that was going round... Last 15 minutes of the game, City had 92% possession. Oh my God. Yeah, that was what Genev was getting uh, irate about uh, and Kino. Um, but yeah, I just keep thinking to myself, well, we've taken six points off City this season, so anything's possible. Fingers, fingers crossed. Hopefully they're awful again. I mean, the biggest issue that United seem to have is people running at them in terms of having the sort of you know, lumbering ocean liner that is Harry Maguire at the heart of their defence, plus, I guess, either Varane, if he's back, who looks a bit troubled by the Premier League at times, plus Wan-Bissaka, who's going through a bit of a dodgy spell and Shaw's not always sort of massively up to it either at the minute by the looks of it. So you would hope the way that we like to play, particularly with the front three sort of getting their groove together as a as a trio, plus Benton Kurs starting off attacks, uh, Matt Doherty maybe coming into some actual sort of decent form at long last. I don't want to say I'm feeling confident because I have been verbally assaulted uh, for my confidence on this podcast before with with very good reason. However, 
I think Spurs should go into that game with some confidence, particularly as like Tom says, we've taken six points off City. We've, we've basically set the blueprint for how to go to a decent team away from home in the victory over City a few weeks ago. So I, uh, yeah, I think so long as Kane and Son show up and I think Kane, I've just got a feeling Harry's going to put in one of his sort of virtuoso kind of Etihad style performances. I just, I think, I don't know. I, I think Spurs, they're going to do it. If we're going to get top four, we've got to not lose. I think at the very, very least. Um, it's a good time for us, you know. Um, if we just leave aside the fact that it's United and Old Trafford, it is a good time for this Tottenham team to be playing a game of football. We've got everyone back pretty much that we need to have back. All yeah. of them looking in pretty decent form. So why not? I think so. You know, our form has been so weird that you can look at through different lenses, but that's what, that's three Premier League wins out of four now, um, which sort of feels bizarre considering the ups and downs of it all. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. Can I have a quick prediction from you both? Tom, prediction for, for the game? You are, I could, don't ask us to predict anything, I have Charlie. To. I have to ask a prediction. Come on. Uh, um, okay. Yeah, 2 1 <laughs> with. Uh, Kane being brilliant again. So Kane with one goal. I want goal scorers as well, please. Go on. Let's go the full hog. Okay, let's go Kane and Cooley then. Okay. Rosa? Uh, okay, yeah. 3-2. Uh, um, Kane, Kulu, and Bentoncourt. Nice. Uh, I'm going to go 3-1. Uh, Kane with two and Christian Romero with a header from a corner. Um, he's, he's oh, I'd love to see that. Now. Yeah, that'd be great. Very satisfying, that'd be. Absolutely. We'll um, from a corner, because our corners haven't been great, <laughs> have they, recently? Let's have a quick chat about Spurs women. They had a hard-fought point against Champions League rivals Reading on the weekend, just gone. Um, and it was a hard-fought point from the highlights. I saw. I didn't see the game in full, but... Both teams had a real sort of boatload of chances by the look of it. We had some really, really, really glorious ones. Um, once again, it seems to be goals with us. I just had a look. We've scored 19 league goals in 15 games. Uh, we've only conceded 11, which is why we're fourth in the league, I guess. But it's just that's just not enough. That's not enough goals, particularly, Rosa, considering the teams that we're about to face in the next few weeks, which I imagine will very much tell us whether or not Tottenham Hotspur are going to qualify for the Champions League. Yep, this is a real season-defining uh, run of games because it is City at home, then Arsenal away, then Chelsea away, which is a pretty brutal run. Yeah. Um, you know, if we can get sort of... I mean, we beat City at the beginning of the season. Obviously, they were depleted then, but they kind of still haven't been that great in the league, I don't think. So that there's definitely possibility there. Probably, maybe, you know, you know who, who knows? Like a draw against the other two. Look, if we can get anything out of the next um, three fixtures, mm. I think it'll be great. Um, like you said, if we, if we squeak into Champions League places, it will be on the strength of the defence, really. So just maybe try not to concede any goals, I guess. Yeah, it feels like not losing to City, considering the next the two games that come after that. And I think we are with five points clear of City, um, who are in fifth behind us. 
they have a game in hand. So if we can keep that five-point gap for now, um, you know, they obviously still have that game in hand. But considering who we're then against, it would be very useful to have a tiny bit of a buffer when we can hopefully then come through this really tough period and start to pick up a couple of wins. Or, of course, we might make history and go away at Arsenal and Chelsea and do what this team have been doing all season, which is kind of outstripping expectations. Who knows? Um, and we wish Spurs women all the best for the next couple of matches because it's going to be really, really, really tough. Um, cool. Let's move on to culture, guys. Um, Tom, what are your culture picks this week, my friend? I missed last week, so I probably should talk about Euphoria Season 2. I think generally it's one of the best things on TV. It's up there with... Um, the best TV of the last 10 years, I think. The cast, wow. are, the cast are incredible, um, mostly nearly all female leads who are just brilliant. Um, and the direction uh, and writing from uh, Sam Levinson is great. The finale episode, the interesting one, if anyone, what other people think, tweet me. Um, the finale episode was a bit of a mess. Uh, it maybe was, yeah, it was a bit all over the place, but Zendaya, our favourite American Spurs fan, shall we say that? Uh, <laughs> she she was just brilliant. Uh, and yeah, the cast generally, Sydney Sweeney, uh, Hunter Scheffler, um, Barbie Ferreira, they were all just amazing. So I'm going to mention Euphoria. And then, oh, I was the last... Um, parent in London to take their kids to Yayoi Kasuma at the Tate on Monday. Oh, cool. uh, yeah, and that was, that was really fun. Um, it was kind of smaller than I expected. There's only really two infinity rooms there, these sort of light uh, and mirror installations. But um, yeah, they were they were really cool. I was kind of hoping for some of those pumpkins that she she does as well, you know, the spotty yeah. pumpkins. But that was great. And just finally, there's a new over mono track, which they've got a new EP coming, which is called Cash Romantic. But the new track from that is called Gunk. Uh, I feel like if Billy was here, he'd definitely be mentioning that. So uh, new music from uh, what are we calling them house techno duo over mono is always good news uh we like a bit of that on hometown glory um i'll stick with music um there's a new album coming from uh ravina who i really like um ash's awakening comes out soon thoroughly recommend keeping your ears open for that um also there's an album by an irish artist called cmat i think you say cmat i'm not actually sure it's it's about s sorry it's spelled c-m-a-t and i think it's just cmat and i'm Really, you know, when you're just like, you've never heard anyone say it out loud and I'm too embarrassed to ask anyone. That's the predicament I'm in. But her album, uh, If My Wife Knew I'd Be Dead, is really, really excellent. Um, and then Maddie Diaz as well, I really like. Her last album, History of a Feeling, came out in 2021, last year, and she's got a new EP out um, with some guests and sort of reworked versions of songs from that album called Same History, New Feelings, which is really, really good. Um, I also watched... I finally watched uh, uh, Shiver Baby, um, which has really stuck with me. And it's just so, so good. And I'm really annoyed that I didn't watch it sort of when all the buzz was happening around it or at the cinema. Uh, it's star um, Rachel Senot also does stand-up. And I've hunted out some of her stand-up and it's really, really good. Um, I thoroughly recommend that. 
Um, Rosa, your picks, please. There's only one pick for me this week and possibly for the rest of time because um, <laughs> I finally saw uh, Steven Spielberg's version of West Side Story because it landed on Disney Plus last week and it is a literal masterpiece. Wow. Now, I am I'm like primed to love it because I love West Side Story. I've seen the original movie a million times. I've seen it in the theatre. I've got the original Broadway cast recording. Like listening to like the opening notes just sends like shivers up and down my spine. But it is a perfect, perfect film. The cast is impeccable. The staging is beautiful. The costumes are unbelievable. There's new choreography, which... Is, which has quite a sort of a lot to live up to, given that the original choreography was by Jerome Robbins. And it's just unbelievably good. And it just hits sort of every note that you'd want it to hit. So you get a sense of New York, you get a sense of the lives that these people are living. They feel very real, even though it's obviously not a realistic setting. And the romance... And the tragedy of it all completely hits. So I was in absolute, so I sort of went on this kind of complete roller coaster of emotion, really. I was sort of thrilled. And then by the end, I was just like a, you know, a crumpled heap. Um, I also just, I love that, you know, like Steven Spielberg, I sort of didn't really know why he wanted to do it. And when I watched it, I thought, I, I, I get it now because he's made changes to it, but you can tell those are the sorts of changes he's really thought about and they make a lot of sense and they add sort of depth in places and a different perspective in places. And, and also I think kind of watching it again, realizing how many, um, like all the performances are impeccable. And I sort of realised he's actually something I don't think he gets necessarily that much credit for is that he's a great actor's director. Like, can you think of a Spielberg movie that has a bad performance in it? I don't think I can. And I think he was also working with his longtime like director of photography on this as well. So it just looks so beautiful. Like the light is incredible. The colour. Um, I wish I'd seen it in the cinema. And I think because obviously it's been nominated for Oscars, I imagine it'll get sort of another kind of limited mm, release hopefully so, release yeah yeah so I think um I'll go and watch it in the cinema I've already um watched it again since I watched it last Friday I honestly you know it is it's a perfect movie for me but I just I, I, I... Rosa I've kind of um gone on a musicals journey in the last yes. few years <laughs> I thought I didn't like musicals I think one Christmas I caught the guys and dolls um, with Sinatra and Marlon Brando. And like now I could just watch that film on repeat. Uh, it's so good. And then I saw Hamilton and, um, you know, a few Lin-Manuel Miranda things that have uh, influenced my love of musicals, my, my newfound love of musicals. I've never <laughs> seen the West Side Story original. Should I go and watch the original before the Spielberg or should I just go in blind straight into Spielberg's new one? Oh, uh, um, no, do you know what? Just watch the Spielberg version. Like you, you like there's time enough to watch the original as well. I think that's fine because it will just give you different things. Like there's not, 
you won't I don't think you'll watch the the old one and think oh god this is you know there's bits of it that are dated but I think it stands up still so well like the um the original Bernardo um in the movie in the in the 61 film George Shakiris is still like the most charismatic dude you'll ever see on screen and the guy they have in the new one like does match up to him I, I looked him up afterwards and he was like one of the original Billy Elliot's in the Broadway production. And he's like the youngest Tony award winner ever. So um, he absolutely has like the skill and the charisma and the talent, but you won't be disappointed by watching the older version either. I've heard the female lead is really good. Was she, she was in, in, in the Heights, right? The, the other Lynn man musical. The film yeah. Version. So obviously so there's, um, do you mean Ariana DeBose, who is Anita? Or, yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, so she is obviously going to win, like, multiple awards over her lifetime. She's also in um, the Apple TV musical Schmigadoon, which was very inconsistent, but she had, like, the standout number from it. So it's worth tracking it down for that. Yeah, she's unbelievably good. She has just everything, like like charisma charm like she can sing she can dance that's the thing about what makes West Side Story such a great it's the perfect musical in my opinion because you don't just get the singing you get the dancing as well and I love dance pretty much as much as I love football so mm. again it's just it's perfect but the girl they discovered for Maria is also she's like 18 when they filmed it and I think like you said as well it kind of it feels like a weird choice for Spielberg because he, mm. he's so far into his career. Why, mm -hmm. like, you know, there are so many remakes out at the moment and everything is either a fr from a franchise or it's a remake of an old film. It seemed like an unusual choice, but it's amazing that it's um, so far into his career. I've seen people say it's Spielberg's best film in 20, 30 years. Yeah, I, I agree watch, how did it? How did it review? Because I feel like it passed me by ever so slightly not being a huge West Side Story fan I think it or got really not knowing good. much about it. I, I saw really good reviews for it and, and some, yeah, some critics were saying it's Spielberg's best in, I don't know, since Schindler's List or Jurassic Park or something. Yeah, I think it just didn't do that well in the cinema for some reason. Um, maybe it just, like, the timing of it. And maybe people would, I don't know, sort of COVID. I think it, maybe it got released just as, like, Omicron, Omicron. hit, possi possibly, so... <laughs> Um, I think as well, watching it as a sort of older person, the the tragedy really, really, really hits. You know, I'll watch, I will also watch like pretty much any version of Romeo and Juliet as well. Like I'm a massive, um, I'm just a sucker for that sort of tragic romance anyway. So, but this really... You just feel the sort of waste of lives, really. I mean, this, you know, spoiler alert, but not really. Like, people die at the end. It's really tragic. And I think, you know, it feels it feels like it should be sort of a young person's musical, but it's not. And I think that's something that, as, a, as obviously a much older director, he could still bring to it. And it's interesting watching it um, as a sort of comparison to... Hamilton and I feel like it was such a shame that they just recorded like a staging of the staging of Hamilton mm. rather than I feel like that's definitely because you realize what you can do now with setting a musical actually in the streets yeah I, I've always thought that was interesting that they filmed the stage version of Hamilton they also filmed it with the original cast and then only released it sort of four or five years later yeah 
and technology has moved on so much. I wonder if at some point there'll be a live action version of Hamilton because uh, I'd I'd love to see it as a, as a Hamilton super fan. <laughs> Yeah, it'll, it'll be your West Side Story. <laughs> yes. Charlie, um, sorry, just while we're on culture and before we end, you mm. mentioned an album title there that was like the best album title of all time. Uh, are you going to make me butcher CMAT's name again? Um, yeah. Just to sort of show up the fact that I still don't know. I could have like gone away during that uh, sort of period of time and checked on the internet how to pronounce the name. I mean, we, so, wang- uh, we, we wanged on about musicals for a while, so you, you could have um, checked it. <laughs> so uh she's from dublin she's great um her album is called if my wife knew i'd be dead and interestingly she's spelt new n-e-w not k-n-e-w um, oh, okay i briefly spell. thought that was the best album title of all time and now the missing k has ruined it for me i know you know i was listening to it um at my desk the other day and emily my wife wandered by and looked over my shoulder at what i was listening to and she said exactly that. She was really, really annoyed by the spelling of you. I yeah. was like, it's always got to be so punny, hasn't it? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a pedant. So sorry, sorry C-Matt, if that is your name. <laughs> you briefly had the best album title of all time. And uh, I've taken that accolade away from you. Um, yeah, she is really good, though. It's a sort of lovely, like, country pop kind of indie fusion. And it's, it's she's sort of very smart lyricist and sort of wryly melodic throughout it's great it's really really good but yeah maybe just spell new the right way next time um anyway yeah, steven sondheim was... and leonard bernstein would never just go no, say that spell. <laughs> say say what you like about sondheim he could spell <laughs> um thank you all for listening to our um everton and musical special of uh, hometown glory i hope everyone's enjoyed that um tom and rosa thank you so much for your company as always um we'll look forward to the next couple of Spurs games for both the men's and women's teams and we will all talk to you next week um Billy's not here so Tom you can see us out with our customary farewell up the Spurs up the Spurs